Amen. It is uh, good to see you and be with you this morning and share uh, with you from uh, the Word of God. I am excited for this morning. Uh, so if you've been journeying with us, you know uh, kind of the setup for what we've been talking about, that uh, one of our goals is that um, so often when we come into church and try to present the Word of God to you as faithfully as we can, uh, it comes with a certain amount of uh, presuppositions. You know, there's some assumed knowledge or a foundation laid, and so it is in our best interest both as a reminder and just informatively to sometimes go back to the basics of what the Christian faith teaches. What is the self-declaration uh, of God from his word? What does it teach us about him and about ourselves? And so that's what we've been doing these past couple of weeks. So we kind of kick that off talking about uh, the Bible, um, where we derive these lessons from how we encounter God through his words and how we can see through the course of history that it is a reliable testament to who God is. And then last week we talked about the nature of of God, that the God described in the Bible is this triune God that is uh, united but distinct and um, just different from how other um, religions perceive of God. And so it is distinctly Christian to view both God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and to hold those things in tension as described in the Word of God. And so as we are kind of progressing into our, our understanding of some of the basics of our faith of what the Bible teaches the Christian message is, uh, this morning we will be talking about us, about people, about humanity. And so historically, that's what uh, Christians have typically just um, um, labeled the doctrine of man. And so when I say man, I mean mankind, not exclusively for men. And so I think that is an important question for us this morning, and one that is just asked by and large, even outside of, of religious setting, is kind of what are we, which gets into deeper questions of purpose and reason. And so I think that is an important question for us today. And so as I was trying to uh, kind of figure out how we might tackle some of these things, I, I went to the, kind of just the repository of all information, um, a dictionary. And so if you just put in humanity into Webster's, uh, the definition they gave, I didn't find all that helpful. So when trying to discuss what it means to be a person, Webster's said that humanity is a bipedal primate mammal. And I don't know about you, maybe that was sufficient for you to answer all of the questions you have in yourself existentially about life and the reality we face, but I thought it was kind of minimal on defining what it means to be a human. But I think this is an important question for us today, and so because I think by and large, you know, um, as, as we just kind of look around our world and maybe specifically our context, our culture, I would say we are constantly facing a crisis of both identity and purpose in the world around us. And a lot of it does revolve around this question of like, okay, what are we? Because what we are will inevitably lead to why we are and how we are supposed to behave in the world around us. So this is an important question facing the world today and is something that the Christian faith that Jesus Christ has spoken to and it is important for us to go back to some of these basics because it is a pressing question that I would say culturally we are facing constantly, but it's not a new question. You know, as Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. And so uh, at, at times and places, I think there are more uh, issues that kind of get pressed to the forefront of what is uh, common in the world around us. And I would say this question is important right now. Like, what are we? Like, what does it mean to be a person in God's created world? What, what is the essence of our humanity? What unites us as people? And so that is important. So um, that's what we're going to try to do today is to tackle uh, 
um, what the Christian faith would say is the doctrine of man. What does it mean to be human as described by the Bible? And so uh, how, how we're going to break it down this morning, and you know, if I can put it very simply for uh, how we would describe the doctrine of man, what it means to be human, I would put it into three categories that we're going to explore. That one, we are created. Two, that we are fallen. And three, that we are loved. And so I, that's, I think, as simply as I can put it, is what it means, what the Bible describes our humanity is that we are created, we are fallen, and we are loved. And so we're going to uh, jump into these different topics. And so we will start at the beginning uh, in being created. And that takes us back to the beginning of the Bible. And so if you would, go to Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to look at the creation narrative because that really does lay a foundation for us and has implications on my life and your life and our understanding of the world around us that we want to look into God's word and receive wisdom and insight from him. And so we are going to look at the verses in Genesis chapter 1, what we call the creation narrative when God spoke all things into existence. And so if you, if you will, look with me. Uh, we're going to start in verse 26 of Genesis Chapter 1, it says this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And so going back to the beginning, that's where we have people arriving here on this earth into this reality that God had spoken everything into existence and then he formed mankind, and it says some specific things about it, that uh, we were made in the image of God, and we're going to talk about that, but that is uh, uh, the first definition of, honestly, what it means to be a human, to be a person, is that we are a created being. God brought us into this reality. He set these things in motion, and so to um, think about that and the depth of what that means is, I, I think there's very um, specific implications to the idea of the fact that we are created, that we didn't determine that we uh, were coming into the world, that God determined that. And so as the author of creation, he gets um, some say over what it means to be a part of his creation. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of the implications of what it means to be created. And as um, we understand uh, the world around us, both uh, from the scriptures and then also from our own experience, there is uh, some commonality to this idea of being created and being a, uh, a human in God's world. And so I want to discuss some of these implications because I think that's what will get to some of these uh, crises of identity that we see in the world around us. And so one implication of being created is that we are finite. So God, infinite, without beginning, without end, eternally preexistent, as they say. But as a created being, we are finite. We have limits. 
We will not live in this life for forever. We do not have endless energy. We need sleep. We need food. We do not have every talent or ability. We do not have every resource. Our lives will be defined by limits in a lot of ways. But it is so easy at times to neglect that and to uh, view ourselves with a capacity to do far more than God has actually created us to be a part of. And so we need to recognize that, that uh, an aspect of our humanity, the fact that we are created, is that we are finite. God is infinite. We are not I think another aspect of what we need to lean into in the fact that we are created by God is that we are not random and we are not an accident. That there is purpose to this world and we are part of that purpose. We are not an accident. We are not uh, a coincidence. We are not a random chance uh, that we have arrived here on this planet. It is by design. Our bodies are by design. Our minds and our souls are by design. We are not at the whim of random mutation. We are not an accident. We were purposeful in that creation. We are created. Uh, we are not self-determining. And I think this is an important one for us this morning. And if you yeah, can remember back in the Old Testament when uh, Moses is encountering God before he goes to Egypt to deliver the people out of slavery, he has this encounter with God and God uh, discloses some aspects of himself and he gives Moses a name to take back to the people of Israel, the name of Yahweh, because Moses says, who shall I say is sending me to you? And God says, I am. And that's a declaration of himself. And uh, there's a lot that gets lost in translation, but it's literally God saying, I exist. Because God being the author of life, he is also uh, the only being allowed to uh, self-identify and self-determine because he is the one who set all things in motion. So as a created being, I need to recognize that I have a very limited scope to self-determine anything in my life. God is, I am not. I did not pick the time that I was living. I did not pick the family that I came into this world into. I did not get to choose the physical characteristics I have. I did not get to choose the talents and abilities that come naturally to me. I am not self-determining. I have been authored by a highly creator being, and so I do not get to determine who or what I am. It's important for us this morning. There is this reality as we walk through life that we do discover things about ourselves, And we see that, you know, I, I think really the past five to 10 years, you've just seen the rise of how popular personality tests are. And, you know, um, so, I mean, we've got Myers-Briggs, we've got the displacement. How many of y'all know your Enneagram number? Okay, this is a few. I think there was more some timid hands in there. And so we do like this idea of, of, of self-discovery of, you know, we can take a couple of questions and it tells you like, hey, when you get in your, this situation, this is how you're going to react. It's like, man, that is spot on. But so often when we take those tests, we realize it's telling us things about ourselves. It's not necessarily things we like, but it's things we see that we fall into. Why? Because we didn't determine a lot of the aspects of who we are. We were created. We were hardwired, we were designed, we were uh, given these characteristics, we uh, had our lifespan determined outside of ourselves. We are not self-determining. We are a created being, 
and the author of our creation is the determiner of our reality and of our very selves. Final implication of being created is that we have purpose. Once again, we are not random. We are not an accident. Being created means that we have purpose. We did not choose to place ourselves here. We were placed here by the hand of providence, by God himself. And I want to double down on that. If you would look with me in Psalm chapter 8, it repeats some of, um, some of the wording that we get in this creation narrative when God was bringing people into existence. And I think it gives us some clues about the purpose God set us here for. So Psalm chapter 8 says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth." Going back to that creation narrative, uh, God has some unique things to say about humans when he brought man into existence. And this is something uh, that predates sin entering into the world. It's what's often called the cultural mandate. Because when God put Adam and Eve into the garden um, and he gave them all these things, it was supposed to be his imagers into this world that God left a lot of the rest of the world unformed in this kind of raw, um, um, raw landscape. And so he uh, placed people in there to have this relationship with them like, hey, uh, image me onto this earth. And so there is this uh, word that's given in there called dominion, which is not uh, domination, but it is like to come alongside God and see that we have this ordered, structured God way above us, but he has uh, created us for this specific purpose to interact in this world that he made and to continue to uh, bear his image upon creation and to work within this world to bring it about to its highest potential. And so you get this echoed in Psalm chapter eight. Once again, it talks about uh, uh, this idea of dominion. And uh, different theologians go back and forth on this psalm. Like, is this a, a prophetic song talking about Jesus that all things will be placed under his feet? But it does talk about that in Genesis 1 as God brought about man, uh, that he put the rest of creation a, a little lower, that he made man unique in that regard, that we are supposed to exercise this authority underneath God in the world around us. And so I, I think both things can be true that this could be talking about Jesus. Because I know that when Jesus came, came, he uh, continued that mandate, um, offering it to us, a responsibility in the world around us. And so uh, before Jesus ascended back to the Father, he stated it very clearly, all authority has been given to me. And then he gives it to his followers, therefore, go. You know, it talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, it actually uses the term that we are Christ's ambassadors, 
that continually the purpose of people is to be a representative for the God of the universe into this world he created. And we are supposed to um, be a part of the mission of bringing people from life to death, of bringing them into relationship with God. And not only that, we are supposed to cultivate the world around us. And we all have a purpose and a role in bringing God's good world into its highest potential as we fix our eyes on Jesus and step into his redemption and see the brokenness around us and to step into the gap. You were created for a purpose. And it goes well beyond uh, maybe uh, just the job you are currently in or how you have seen your own life. That the fact that you are not an accident, you are not random, you're just not, you're not supposed to just run out the clock on your existence. That God has made you for a purpose and we should be um, exploring what that is and digging into the word of God and pressing into a relationship with Jesus because he has uh, uniquely wired all of us and determined the things you are going to be good at and the times and places you are going to live and the family you are going to be a part of and the neighbors that you have and the workplace you are at for his glory and your good. We cannot recognize the fact that God created us and divorce that from the reality that we have a responsibility and a role we are supposed to play in the world around us. I love how Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says it. It says that you are God's workmanship, that he created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that he prepared in advance that you might walk in. So part of our role as followers of Jesus is to be engaging the world around us in asking God the question, what good works have you called me to step into for your glory and for the good of others? You are created. You are finite, but you are not an accident. You are not self-determining. God has determined who you are and what you are, and he has determined that you have a purpose and a role to play in this world around us. Part of our humanity is the fact that we are created. But another aspect of our humanity is the fact that we are fallen. So I I know many of you know, um, after chapter one in Genesis, when God creates and uh, gives the role to mankind to play in his ordered world, uh, Genesis three comes very quickly. And it's what we call the fall. And so what we've looked back on is this moment where God's creation was fractured uh, with the entrance of sin into this world. And so um, um, as we have uh, looked at the scriptures and tried to understand our place in God's world, we, we look back at this moment and, and we look at what happened with Adam and Eve and we take the other scriptures and, um, and then we've arrived at this, this notion of humanity that I would say has, has bared out historically and also bears out biblically of what we would uh, term traditionally original sin. And it's this idea that uh, an aspect of our humanity was so broken by this moment that we call the fall, that when we are brought into this world, into this existence, we already have a natural bent. Uh, I would invite you to look with me in Romans chapter 5. Paul describes this reality uh, in that chapter very well. So in Romans chapter 5, in verse 12, it says this, Therefore, Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, 
even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And so it's describing this moment that Adam and Eve uh, being the first created people that God designed to have this relationship with them when they trespassed and rebelled against God, it brought into our common humanity this reality that we are brought into this world sinful. We would affirm original sin, that when we are born, it is with a predisposition to be rebellious against our creator. And so when I say original sin, is that we are both uh, sinful by nature and by choice. And this is an important doctrine of the Christian faith and our understanding of what it means to be people. And so uh, when I uh, did college, my undergrad uh, undergrad is in political science. Uh, so a lot of the social science classes, a lot of sociology and different things. And this is a constant discussion out in the world about the nature of humanity. And so you get uh, different ideas. They talk a lot about, okay, how much of uh, our humanity is nature versus nurture? So how much are we born with? How much is in instilled into us by society, by families of origins. And so you've had some different, you know, philosophers and proponents at different times that advocate for different things. And so there was the uh, political philosopher way back in the day named John Locke, who uh, a lot of his writings influenced our Constitution, Declaration of Independence. His kind of idea was what he coined from the Latin is tabula rasa is blank slate. So people are brought into this world with a blank slate, and then it's really just society and families, and wherever you are brought up, that is what uh, has the um, the effect on your life and leads you down a certain path. And so there are, this is a question uh, that has plagued humanity for a long time. Like, okay, when we enter into this world, like, what is the condition of humanity? And so as we look back in the scriptures, what Paul is saying right here is that our common ancestor of Adam, when he um, rebelled against his purpose and relationship that God uh, had set up mankind to fulfill, it did something in our lineage that has brought us to the point where we are sinful both by nature and then rebellious by choice. Uh, King David in Psalm 51, 5 said it like this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, I, I do not think that is a, a testimony about his mom because we don't have those indicators within the scripture about David's family life. But what it is saying is that there is this reality that as he came into the world, our common humanity, he came into it in a state of sinfulness. And so we are sinful by nature and by choice. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 3.23 said it like this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is an important question. So one of the things you realize as you kind of uh, dig in the worldviews or even just talk to people on the street, uh, it's very easy uh, for people to look around at our reality. And one of the points of commonality that we can agree on is that things have gone wrong in the world. You know, I mean, we can definitely affirm that this week. The whole world is looking right now at Uvalde and we can all say something has gone wrong wrong. And we see that anytime one of those tragedy happens, or as we uh, look at um, um, the devastation in Ukraine, or we look at a natural disaster that wipes out a town, or we uh, hear her horrific stories, we can all kind of affirm like something has gone wrong in the world. But where we uh, begin to disagree with different worldviews or what people might uh, offer as a, um, as a, as a solution is, is the why that things have gone wrong. And because one of the things I've discovered over and over again is I've talked to people and sometimes I slip into this very easily myself is that so often when I look at the world around me, I begin to seek out and want an external solution 
for what the Bible describes as an internal problem. And so this comes back to this question of the nature of humanity and what it means to be a person in God's world and the idea of uh, what is the natural state of people. Are people naturally good or naturally not? What the Bible would describe is that we all have a sin nature. And it makes people complicated because as we go through life, we will experience incredible moments of beauty and courage and love and art and all these different things that God has uh, embedded in us as the reality of our personhood that we can bring about in this life. But we're also going to be touched by incredible moments of evil and selfishness. And so how we view ourselves as people and the nature of what it means to be person is going to uh, dramatically impact how we answer the question, when I look at the world today, what is the primary problem and how can I work towards a solution? So often we are seeking an external solution, but what the Bible describes is an internal problem. And so as I look at the world today, as I uh, think about my job, as I think about my family, as I think about my spouse, where does your head go when you encounter points of tension? Is it something out there that needs to change, or is there something in here that needs to change? And so these are uh, uh, larger questions about the existence of reality and humanity, but they have very practical applications. Because what the Bible would describe is that every single one of us has a heart that needs to be transformed. That when our first father, Adam, rebelled and turned away from God, it did something to our humanity that makes us naturally bent towards turning from God instead of towards God. And so I need to ask myself the question as I interact in the spheres God has put me, am I constantly desiring an external solution for what the Bible would say is an internal problem. And so we get that on the macro all the time. If this political party would just get in office, that would fix it. If we just had this one thing go right, this would fix it. If we could just be a bit more inclusive, if we could just up literacy all over the world, if we could just have this system in place, it would fix it. And systems are good, and we want to um, promote things that promote human flourishing. And in fact, that's why uh, God even describes why we have government to restrain evil and reward what is good. But inevitably, at the end of the day, if we are only relying on something external to fix the things in the world, um, we will miss the biblical narrative that it's us that needs to change. So much so that what the prophet Ezekiel described as the human condition is that we have a heart of stone and we need God to remove that heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh. And we will see that uh, carried out in our lives over and over and over again. I like how the apostle Paul describes it in Romans chapter seven. He says, what I want to do, I don't do, but what I, uh, I do, what I do not want to do. In fact, I do the very thing I hate. Because there's this reality of what the Bible calls the flesh is that we have this nature that is predisposed to turn away from God. And as we enter into a relationship with Jesus, it begins to push against that nature and we see uh, the fruits of the Spirit come out. But it's something we need to recognize that's common in our humanity is that we are a fallen, broken, sinful people. And if we um, miss the reality of what the scriptures teach us on that, it's going to, uh, I think, just um, throw off our worldview. And it's going to uh, provide so much consternation about what we see around us because um, this is the world the Bible describes. 
It is a world with human evil. It is a world with my own selfishness. It is a world that pushes against the things of God. And so it's one of the things we need to recognize as a basic of our faith is knowing that people are sinful, that I am sinful and you are sinful and human nature has not changed. And that's always the constant question as we uh, march towards progress of people trying to uh, understand and wrap their minds around the fact why we are not getting better over time. That's because our nature is still the same. We are still in need of a redeemer. And our sin was so problematic that it required Jesus. And that's where we get to the third aspect of our humanity. We are created, we are fallen, and we are loved. The most famous verse in all of the Bible, and for good reason, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. An aspect of being a human is the need to recognize that you are loved beyond all measure. It's an incredible reality that the Bible describes. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says it like this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The overarching narrative of the Bible is what we would call the story of redemption. That from Genesis 3 onward, God uh, was bringing about this incredible work into the world that culminated at the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at the, the scope of history as Christians who adhere to the Christian faith and message, the story of Jesus Christ, we view it through the lens of redemption. That there is incredible brokenness, there is incredible uh, fallenness, there is suffering, there is ups and downs, but we see the arc of where humanity is going and it's one of God calling his people back to himself. The Bible is one big, epic love story. That God's position towards his creation is one of a father who just wants his kids to come home. So we, can, um, we need to recognize, affirm, and realize the depth of depravity and the impact that has on the world around us, but we have to take that hand in hand with the, um, the incredible measure of God's love that is bestowed on us, his kids. You know, that's what uh, Paul even talked about with the Ephesians, that we would um, be able to comprehend the depth of of his love that surpasses all understanding. We have to recognize as these created people in the image of God that his love is a profound indicator of our humanity. We are marked by his love, so much so that the God of the universe took on human flesh, and as it's described in the New Testament, he became a curse on our behalf. So all of those acts of brokenness and of fallenness he took on himself because of the great love with which he loved us. We have to take all of those things in unison to realize what it means to be a person because the reality is that all of us are more sinful than we realize and more love than we could ever imagine. 
And sometimes it's easy for us to fixate on one or the other, but we need to take those two things together. And historically, that's what Christians have affirmed, that as we uh, press on towards maturity in Jesus Christ, it it, it comes in two directions, both um, uh, an awareness of God's holiness and a knowledge of our sin. That as we uh, proceed in this life and try to live out that redemption story in our own lives in a relationship with Jesus, that those things are continued to grow greater and greater over time. A recognition of how broken I am, but a profound gratitude for how his love has been extended towards me. That maybe I don't even realize how sinful I am, but Jesus did when he went to the cross that it extends way beyond anything we could imagine. We are loved. And I was thinking about it like this. You know, we know that the Christian message, you know, if you place your faith in Jesus, eternal life, we talk about heaven, we talk about hell. Just just think of it this way. Um, Do you think God would invite you to live with him for forever if he didn't like you? And that is the invitation that is offered to us through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's saying, come live with me for forever. And that's how I know that the, uh, the overarching story and narrative of the Bible is a love story because it ends at a wedding. That God is inviting us into this relationship with him to be united with his son, to live out the created aspect of ourselves that he designed us for in a relationship with him, continuing to have uh, this responsibility in this world around us because we are uh, uniquely created, that he has uh, put us in this special category that He made all the other created order and he said it's good. And then he made people in his image to bear his mark on this earth. And he said, it's very good. It's so much, in fact, that in Genesis chapter two, when it recaps how people are created, it talks about how God puts the breath of life into us. And so as people, as followers of Jesus Christ, as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to recognize this foundational truth and reality about who we are. We are created. We are fallen and we are loved. Um, back in 1563, a group of Christians got together in Heidelberg, Germany, and wrote a catechism, um, which is just a, a way to articulate our faith and to teach our faith to the next generation through question and answer. So there's lots of different catechisms that have been written throughout time, and they're always framed like that. Um, they have a question and then an answer, and so just a teaching method. Um, and, but the first two questions of the Heidelberg catechism I, I, I wanted to read to us this morning. This is what it says. Uh, Question number one. What is your only hope in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. The following question is this. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And this is how they answered that question. Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God 
for such a deliverance. It's a complicated thing to be a person in this reality, but I uh, see it affirmed over and over and over again through the scriptures and also through my own experience that as a person, as a man made in the image of God, set in place on this world for a reason, that I am created by God, that I am a fallen, broken, sinful human, and that I am loved beyond anything I could ever imagine. Would you pray with me?